You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Guidepost. This is Tony Friedrich, Policy Director for the American Saltwater Guides Association. I am joined uh, with my co-host, Willie Goldsmith, the Executive Director. Thanks, Tony. And hey, everybody, welcome back to the Guidepost. Uh, we're really thrilled today to have Matt Seeley with us. Matt is a fishery management specialist with the Mid-Atlantic Fishery Management Council. And he's also the man in charge of bluefish, among many other things at the council. He wears a lot of hats over there and has got a, a lot to tell us. And so we're really thrilled to have Matt with us today. And uh, Matt, welcome to the Guidepost. Thanks, Willie. Thanks, Tony. Really excited to be here and talk to you guys about bluefish. Thanks right for having on. me. No, absolutely. We're, we're, we're really happy to have you and, and get your perspective. And kind of before we, we really dig into the meat of what's going on with Bluefish, Matt, I'm wondering if you can just tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, I think it's it's helpful for folks to know about, you know, who works at the regional management councils and kind of a little bit about your background and how you ended up here would be, would be great to hear. Yeah, of course. Happy to. Um, I guess I could go way back even to start where, you know, my parents really are the ones that got me involved in fishing, you know, ultimately fishery science and marine science in general. Uh, my dad used to always take us out on headboats in Gloucester as a kid. My mom would do her best to take the family to Hawaii as much as possible growing up. And it was just really all a part of my upbringing. So, you know, I took those passions and desires and took them to school and got a bachelor's degree in natural resources conservation from the University of Massachusetts. And then I went on to get my master's degree at the University of Texas Marine Science Institute in Port Aransas. And out there I was studying migration and habitat use of Atlantic tarpon using uh, chemical signatures and scales. It's kind of a different approach to learning about migration and then took a little time off and traveled and end up, uh, ended up at the Mid-Atlantic Council. And you know, very happy where I am doing the work that I'm doing. Right on. And I think, you know, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that, that like me, you are a fellow mass hole. So glad to always have some more folks from mass who are in the, in the fishery management world. And in, in normal times, Matt, the, the middle Atlantic council, Christ, I knew there was something, <laughs> I mean, holy crap. something in the water up Dude, there. Man. I That's knew, I, I knew I was like, I, I was starting to feel queasy and like, I was like, ah, did I get, was that sandwich that I had bad? Was that like expired Capricola on that sandwich? You're outnumbered, and, buddy. I'm sorry. And then you said it, and I was like, oh, okay. That wasn't like four-week-old Capricola. That was freaking <laughs> both these guys are mass holes. Now it makes sense. Oh. It's true. It's true. And, Matt, the, the Mid-Atlantic Council, obviously, with COVID, things are changing, but it's in Delaware, right? That's kind of where the headquarters are? Yeah, our offices in uh, Dover, Delaware. And we've been actually, you know, on our work from home policy for some time now. And, you know, we're really excited to get back to in person. And we may be starting with a hybrid approach. Those things are still being refined. But, you know, really looking forward to get back to the meetings, you know, can interact with our stakeholders face to face. It's one of my favorite parts of the job. So, um, you know, once things are all set, really looking forward to doing that. 
So, so Matt, let's, um, let's talk about your work at the council. As I kind of alluded to earlier, you know, we want to talk mainly about bluefish today, but we, we know you, you do a lot over at the council and kind of curious if you can fill us in on, on the different activities you're involved in, you know, kind of give a sense to, to folks listening, kind of all the different activities that, that, that council staff have to have to deal with. Yeah, there's, you know, a wide array of things that you've kind of already touched on that council staff has to do. Um, my specific responsibilities, obviously here, uh, I'm the bluefish staff lead. I'm also staff lead for the blue line tilefish fishery management plan. And I'm, you know, act as the council staff lead for our liaison work with highly migratory species, as well as um, my responsibilities include uh, working on the Northeast Trawl Advisory Panel from a staff perspective. And I focus on the collaborative research program and working with the research steering committee. So variety of different tasks. I get to dip my toes in different things, meet a lot of different people and uh, continue to learn a lot throughout the process. Let's talk about our yellow eyed devil friend, the bluefish and the management complications that surround these yellow eyed devils. How does it all work, Matt? That's a very deep question there, Tony. Um, so, well, from the council perspective, we manage bluefish in federal waters, you know, anything from three to 200 miles. Uh, we do collaborate with our partners over at the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission, where they manage those in state waters. And, you know, we have a, a general process that we go through every year to develop specifications. And throughout this specifications process, we work with a wide variety of stakeholders, starting with the public and our advisors, you know, getting their on the water comments about how things are going. We take that information and bring it to the scientific and statistical committee, where they use stock assessment information to kind of generate what the overall acceptable biological catches are. They take into account the public comment process, the information from the advisors, to kind of account for any sorts of uncertainties that may be associated with those numbers they develop. That information then gets translated to a monitoring committee that helps develop some of the specific management measures, maybe our bag limits, seasonal closures, any sorts of uh, measures that are used to help constrain uh, harvest. And then ultimately all of that gets translated to the council and board. And you know that's my job as a staffer is to summarize all of that information, lead some of these meetings, and then present it and watch things unfold at the council and commission meetings uh, where they vote on the measures and the specifications to take place. And then we, you know, we write it up. I see Willie shaking his head because we can see each other on video. I'm not sure. I just want to, I want to voice my utter disappointment at bluefish management because in the regulations, I've never seen anything that says, don't stick your hand in their mouth. That, <laughs> I mean, I just, I just think about all the hapless anglers who've been like, let me get that hook out. And then they like end up Tony on a YouTube only has two fingers on his left. Yeah. Hand. They, they end up in a YouTube video with nine and a half fingers. I was just watching yeah. one a couple of minutes ago, laughing my ass off. So, uh, so just, just take that into consideration during the next management shifts, just big, bold letters. Don't put your hand in their mouth. Dummy. Yeah. I'll definitely keep that in mind. I'll see if, uh, <laughs> You know, through the review process, what the regional I, office. I recommend do. the council adopt such measures. I'm just, you know, healthcare's costs are enough these days. Tony uh, always reminds to us of the low, uh, look uh, at me. I'm, the, a, I'm the, a, the lowest common denominator in the uh, I'm a in the picture of fitness, universe, right? right? 
look, I, I mean, I try to do my part to keep everyone else's health care down. I don't need a bunch of... We're going to have to start coming out with new keyboards for computers. I know he looks older, but stick you know, in their Tony's in actually their 96, and that's what his face looks like. You know, I, how, am. How well, I am. How well he's <laughs> aged. But at least I'm not from Massachusetts, so I've got that going for me. <laughs> All right, I feel so you. The reason, I got it. So the reason I was is, shaking my head... What's going on with blue? Nobody cares why you're shaking your head, Willie. Nobody can see you shaking your head. We can hear the rocks falling back and forth, but we're, nobody can see it. We're not putting this on YouTube yet. What's what's going on with Bluefish right now? You know, w- w- amendments currently developed. What's it intending uh, intending to address? And you know, why did the Bluefish bag limit drop in 2020? Because I think a lot of anglers are kind of curious about that, and there's some pretty simple answers to it. Yeah, you know, a couple of questions there. I'll try to address all of them. Um, kind of goes back to 2018, 2019, where the new uh, catch estimates came out of MRIP, the whole recalibration. These new catch estimates were much higher than we previously thought. And throughout the operational stock assessment in 2019, you know, the stock was deemed overfished. So with an overfished status and you know, other aspects of the fishery not being reviewed, specifically allocations for some time now. You know, the current allocations were based off data from 1981 to 1989, uh, things like that. You know, the council ultimately decided to initiate an amendment. Um, And, you know, as we continue to move forward here, I mentioned these MRIP numbers, the projected recreational catch scaled up with the new MRIP estimates, but the biomass estimates didn't scale to the same degree. So our projected catch exceeded the recreational harvest limit, and we had to implement associated management measures. That kind of led to this decrease in bag limits, you know, going from 15 fish federally to three fish for a private angler and five fish for the for hire anglers. Um, You know, part of the reason that bag limit is different between the two is because the for hire anglers, many of them, uh, the fryer captains are, you know, running their businesses for their livelihood. And we understand that as managers, that changing these bag limits really do affect people's lives. So we wanted to do as much as we could to allow the fryer sector to catch more fish. And they, um, in 2018, 2019, were responsible for less than 5% of the coastwide landings. So when we were developing those measures, that's what kind of fit in to get us to the reductions that we needed, but allowed that sector to be a little higher. Um, And then all of that kind of translated into the amendment process now, which We've gone out for scoping for all of these different issues, everything from dealing with allocations on between the sectors, the commercial allocations to the states, uh, transfer provisions. We've initiated this rebuilding plan through the amendment, um, aspects of management uncertainty, and there's a board only um, item in there focusing on de minimis status. So kind of just threw a lot at you. If I can clear anything up, please let me know. Yeah, Matt, thanks. Thanks for the overview. Definitely a, a lot to talk through. And I think, you know, we definitely want to talk about the rebuilding and kind of what you were mentioning there with, you know, MRIP data and how, and just for folks listening, I think most are familiar with the Marine Recreational Information Program. That's how we estimate uh, recreational catch and harvest. Oh, sorry, recreational effort and harvest, excuse me. Uh, but I just want to go back for a second because I think Tony's got some thoughts on, on the, uh, the five and three, right? The the five fish for the for hire and the three fish for the private anglers. And we know that was one of the measures that was taken, you know, dro- dropping the bag limit. And Tony, what, do you have anything you want to share on that issue? I don't know. Do you, do you have anything you want me to share on that issue? I mean, look, it's it, a lot of folks were saying 
that that's sector separation. And that is not sector separation. Sector separation is a long, arduous, painful process. I've, I've played my part in it. Look to Red Snapper in the Gulf, and you'll begin to understand the division and angst and everything that occurred with that. And that was desperately needed, to be honest with you. Um, so real quick, do this in like 30 seconds. The situation in the Gulf was there was a, the federal aspect of red snapper fishery, three miles and out, and then the inshore red snapper fishery. And the states were catching the quota during the state season, and there wasn't anything left for the federal season. And in order to catch red snapper in the Gulf of Mexico, you have to have a Gulf permit if you're charter for hire. And I mean, the last time I checked on a Gulf permit was a couple of years ago, and it was over $25,000 just to get that Gulf permit. It's not, it's not a cheap item to acquire. So you had this whole charter for hire fleet that was basically watching, not, not really fishing inshore because they had the Gulf permit, watching a, a, a bunch of rec, private wreck anglers catch the whole quota up inshore and then being left with like a two or three day season. So because of, because of just the expenses around a Gulf permit and, and everything else involved with the chicanery that was going on down there, they went through a multi-year process, got their own quota, got sector separation, and under those circumstances, it made sense. What happened with Bluefish, and Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but what happened with Bluefish is the Charter for Hire fleet represents such a small percentage that giving them five fish and the, rec and the rest of the private wreck angling community, three fish really hardly made any difference in the, uh, in the stats when they came out on the other end. So this was, this was kind of a de facto reallocation. It was not sector separation. We didn't, we didn't support it. Just so anyone listening to this isn't like, oh, the guides association is going to kill more fish. Harumph. We didn't support it. You can go to our blog. You can look at our comments on it. We thought it should be the same for everyone. Um, so there, neener, neener, um, you're wrong. So, um, you know, I'm, it's it's kind of water under the bridge. So by no means am I being critical of the decision. It's just something we didn't support and something that happened. Um, but again, this, is, this was a kind of de facto reallocation, not sector separation. So that's... That's all I wanted to say about that, Willie. Thanks, Tony. And thanks for another data point for me in terms of uh, what in Tony's brain constitutes 30 seconds. It's always helpful to you know, add, some more to my, add some more to my ledger for, uh, for that publication I intend to uh, get out there. One of the... Let's get into the amendment a little bit. There's obviously a ton here, Matt. We're not going to get into all of it. Um, first off, can you kind of tell us where we are? You know, it, we're, we're pretty late in the process here, right? Yeah. So... I'll, I'll back up a couple of weeks. We, um, we finished the public hearings for, um, for the amendment in uh, March and April, we ran those public hearings. So we took as much public comment on all of the different alternative sets, the various alternatives that we had, uh, both my counterpart and I at the commission filtered through every single comment that we got. If you attended a hearing and you gave your comments verbally or you wrote them and sent them in, or use the public comment form online, all of those comments came across my desk and were 
individually uh, accounted for and incorporated into our public comment summary document, which is uh, still being drafted right now and will be presented at the June council meeting. And we're now meeting in, uh, in June to take final action on this amendment where we're gonna take all these public comments and present them in front of the council and board along with every single amendment. The fishery management action team uh, came together to make recommendations on what the best alternatives are moving forward from a scientific perspective, taking into account uh, the public comments, all of those different aspects. And um, you know, I'm really excited to present to the council and board in June to see how all of this unfolds. And you know, we'll be there to answer any questions that anyone has. And um, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that how that goes down. So you know, Matt. Um... Guides Association promotes abundant fish populations, better business through conservation, healthy resource is better for everyone. We don't pick winners. Um, you know, we, we're not going to be eternally locked in this struggle between commercial and recreational anglers. We just, not sound too hokey, but we do want to speak for the resource, right? So I think a big part of how that translates into what you do is precautionary management. Let me just frame it before you answer. So like precautionary management is like, we have all of these unknowns, you know, the data is as good as it can be. Can it, can it be better? Yeah. Okay. So maybe that's a little bit of an unknown. What are the effects? Did, did, do we know if they spawned good last year? Are we certain that the effort didn't increase maybe because there was a good year class? We're not counting trees in a forest, right? We're counting trees don't move, fish do. Watch some somebody's gonna write us an email that says this one species of tree, <laughs> like some friggin' forest in Asia moves or something. I don't know, but I don't I don't care about that tree. I'm making a good point. Let me roll. So like, we're not counting trees in a forest. We're counting fish. It's really really hard to do. So <clears throat> we would, I, I guess, the best thing that we see that could happen for fisheries management is to be precautionary and and kind of build that uncertainty into the management process a little bit better than it's done right now. And then we don't have this like, we don't have this up and down population. They're here one day, they're gone the next year. Oh, we got to rebuild them. Just, you know, slow and steady wins the race. And I just wanted your thoughts on that, like our, our views on precautionary management. Yeah, that's, you know, a great question, a great point. And to me, what you're kind of hitting on there is really all about the council's risk policy. And you know, generally speaking, the risk policy specifies the council's acceptable level of risk or you know, the probability of overfishing. So when setting our acceptable biological catch, you know, the level for a stock, the risk policy affects how much of a buffer we leave to account for that inherent scientific uncertainty. And the council's risk policy was recently revised in 2019 you know, designed to reduce the risk of overfishing as the stock size falls below a certain level. So for stocks like bluefish, which is currently overfished, you know, we have a much more precautionary approach and we allow for a much lower risk of overfishing. And for stocks that are healthy and either at or above biomass targets, the risk policy allows for increased risk and greater economic benefit. And you know what all of this takes into account is trying to find a balance between the biological, economic, and social needs of all of our different user groups. And that's why we have a range of alternatives for this rebuilding plan, which try to get right at that. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, thanks for the rundown. And I think 
you know, there's a lot in here that's of interest to to our folks, but I think the rebuilding piece is a big part of that, right? I think there are three rebuilding alternatives in there. There's the four-year plan, the five-year plan, the seven-year plan. Uh, the Guides Association supported the, the five-year plan in our comments uh, based on the council's risk policy, which made a lot of sense to us. Um, just kind of curious, you know, if you can give us a sense of, um, you know, how those options came to be, you know, how does that process play out? Um, and then also, you know, is that a guarantee that the fishery will rebuild in that time? Like, how does that work from a council perspective? Yeah, great questions. Thank you. So the way that these alternatives were developed was, you know, through a collaborative process with the Northeast Fishery Science Center. We have a stock assessment scientist, obviously, that folks specifically on bluefish. And through, you know, working with the fishery management action team, we came up with a couple different approaches to how you can rebuild. And, you know, you hit on them there. Uh, the four-year is a constant harvest approach. The five-year utilizes the uh, council's risk policy. And the seven year is a constant fishing mortality approach. So we can kind of set these parameters for, you know, do we want a longer plan? Do we want a shorter plan? And we wanted to develop a, you know, a large range of alternatives. And we did have a few more options that were available in this alternative set. But as we were going through meetings, the council and board ultimately slimmed it down to this final range of a four, five, and seven year plan. And all of these plans are you know, subject to change because they are modified as new stock assessment information comes out. And that's going to occur every two years through the management track assessments. So it's almost like a living rebuilding plan where updated information is incorporated. We always try to have the most accurate information available. So you know, looking for a hard truth answer of, you know, will this work? Obviously things change and I can't give an official answer of, you know, are we going to achieve the rebuilding um, the rebuilding goals? But we are setting ourselves up to definitely do that, and we have the tools in our management kit here to you know set things back on track if necessary. So you know, like I mentioned, we're reviewed every two years. We can also implement further conservation and management measures, which would be considered through a request from the National Marine Fisheries Service if necessary, and those can include things like you know rethinking the management measures any scientific research or habitat restoration, or just any other indirect measures that could support rebuilding. But again, it's a living plan that's gonna be revised over time and the goals are set and you know we believe that they are achievable. I think a lot of our folks have been paying very close attention to striped bass, right? Stripers in the, at the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission has kind of been the issue for the past several months. We've got this Amendment 7 process that's been you know, evolving uh, in the last, in the better part of the last year. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about this issue, right? We talk about rebuilding and we talk about, you know, the requirements there. And I think the, the big difference, of course, with Bluefish and the Mid-Atlantic Council is the Magnuson-Stevens Act, right? You guys have federal legislation that's really helping to drive a lot of this decision-making. So you mentioned, I think Tony and I were both on the call when Mike Pentany, the regional administrator for the greater Atlantic region of NOAA fisheries, basically told the um, the council that they had to throw out the 10 year rebuilding plan you know they had to throw out that option because it was it was too long right that was, that was no uh, he didn't of... tell the council he told one whiny person in particular who I won't name on this podcast who was like but I want the 10 year thing in there and Penny was like I guess you want to get sued um, so anyway I just wanted to throw that in it wasn't like the council's fault or, or 
It wasn't really even a commissioner. It was just somebody for some crazy reason that just wants bluefish to languish in overfished limbo for as long as humanly possible. And uh, if anyone wants to find out who that is, you can always go and listen to the tapes from the hearing. Yeah. And so just, just to kind of add to that a little bit, you know, Tony, you hit on the 10 year plan and the reason there was a 10 year plan in there is because, you know, the Magnuson Stevens act says that we need to rebuild within a 10 year timeline. So the goal is to have the stock fully rebuilt within at least 10 years, 10 years being the maximum. And, you know, we can revise things as we move along, but we're supposed to also rebuild as quickly as possible while also obviously taking into account the needs of our stakeholders, the needs of the communities, so everyone can, you know, benefit from this rebuilding plan in a timely manner. Right. And since it could easily be accomplished in under 10 years, if the 10-year plan had been included and selected, it would have resulted in a lawsuit. Now, if we take, if we take one step back and we look at Stripe Bass, uh, at the most recent meeting on May 5th, um, I believe it was, um, oh shoot. Oh, well, who cares who it was? Justin Davis, right? Sorry, Justin from Connecticut kept reminding the Stripe Pass Management Board that they still haven't developed a rebuilding plan, even though we're going off a 2018 stock assessment and hold on one second. Yep. It's 2021 right now. So, um, yeah, it's just two totally different management worlds. Um, ASMFC seems to be the repository for wayward and problem fish. Um, God help Cobia. They just ended up there from the South Atlantic Council. Anyone want to take bets? Six to one odds. They will be overfished in three years. I'll be taking those. You can uh, you can email me at willie at saltwaterguidesassociation.org if you'd like to place a bet. I deserve um, that. Yeah, totally. You're going to get more of me, buddy. Um, so... You know that anyway. I'm gonna. I I, I don't really care. Uh, I'm not. I beat up ASMFC enough, and that's not gonna stop. Hopefully, they'll develop a callus at some point. It won't hurt quite as bad. Um, how, how can folks learn more about the council and get themselves involved? You mentioned earlier that kind of like your favorite part of your job is interacting with the public. Um, what's what's your recommendation to our listeners to get involved? and uh and and kind of help out with this whole process of fisheries management yeah great question tony and i'll just start off by saying that any you know any public comment is useful anything that the public wants to share or feels like they need to share is very useful for management moving forward and there's tons of ways to get involved and it's as easy as signing up for an email list and you'll get pings from our coordinator who manages that on when meetings are occurring or how public comment periods are going to start and end, where they're going to be holding hearings, all of those sorts of things. We also uh, have the ability to re-up our advisory panels. And this is something that actually just occurred. You know, we had a lot of applications come in, so members of the public can try to, you know, serve on those panels and participate in meetings actively throughout the process. That's a great way to get involved. Also, all of our meetings are posted well in advance of uh, whatever meeting we're trying to host there on the council's calendar. They're published in the Federal Register. So this information is, is posted everywhere. And almost all of the meetings are posted are open to the public um, unless otherwise noticed. And 
my favorite way outside of, you know, meeting someone face to face, shaking your hand, talking through this management stuff, any sort of process here is just a call or email. You know, we don't hide our contact information on the website. It is there plain sight. And as I mentioned, I really enjoy engaging with all of the stakeholders. So, you know, if you have a question, a comment, anything, pick up the phone and give us a call. We love our jobs. We enjoy fishing just as much as you do. It's always been a part of my life. And, you know, we I'm can putting, talk to the management I'm process. Willie's cell phone on the, our <laughs> I think, no, I think you make a great point, Matt, about being accessible to the general public and being able to hear every random thought that they have. So I'm going to, I'm actually going to remove Willie's editor or administrative privileges from the website, put his <laughs> cell phone number up there. And next time we talk, I'll let you know how it went for him. There you go. Yeah. And you know, some of the best stuff that I learn about fisheries management comes from those that are on the water, our stakeholders. And uh, I try to develop as much and as best a relationship I can. Tony, it's, it's so great to share this platform with you and I really appreciate it. And I know nobody can see your face and, uh, that's probably for the best because you have a pretty ugly laugh, my friend. But anyways, moving back to <laughs> there it is. So, uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. And I do just want to note, you know, Matt, you guys do a great job on the website. You know, it's obviously you've got each species and what's going on, but you also have separate pages for each of the amendments that's out there. Right. So you've got um, a rec reform, recreational reform initiative page. There's a bluefish reallocation and rebuilding page. There's an offshore wind page. Just a really good place for folks to go to really get up to speed on on the issues and get a sense of what resources are available to them so i think you guys do do an awesome job with that yeah just and have to give a shout out to mary sabo our communication and outreach coordinator she's the one that manages the website and you know just as you indicated she does a fabulous job and you know really helps us all out there so shout out to her for sure and you know while we're talking about you know getting folks involved in the council, right. And, and learning more, of course, you know, one big thing that Tony and I do is really try to get folks to comment, right. To be meaningful contributors to the management process. And obviously, you know, you guys regularly have calls for public comment, you know, at various stages at scoping at looking at different uh, alternatives and a draft amendment, all that good stuff. And just wondering, you know, you're on the other side of the table, right? So can you tell us kind of what's a good constructive public comment and what is not particularly constructive? Yeah, that's a, a, a really good point. Um, I'll start off by saying there is no bad comment. You know, all comments are helpful for us moving forward. But in terms of a comment being more useful than not, there's, you know, a way to distinguish there. And for example, you know, on the bluefish allocation and rebuilding amendment, we have a lot of different issues that we touched on, and there's a lot of alternatives associated with each issue. So a really useful and great comment for us is someone that says, you know, I prefer alternative 2A, 3B, and 4C. However, you know, it breaks down. Be as specific as you can and offer some justification. And that way we know why you're choosing it and what um, sector you you're represent and it helps us really get a better idea of, you know, why you're choosing what you're choosing and how these alternatives will uh, help things moving forward. An example of a not so useful comment would be if you're saying, you know, let's let's address the bag limits uh, for bluefish in this amendment. We need to increase the bag limits back up to five or ten fish. Although that's useful for us to know that that's important to you and would help your livelihood, 
It's not something that's being addressed in this amendment. So a comment like that ends up having to be put into an other category. Doesn't really affect the um, council and board's process of selecting alternatives that are you know, on the table at this upcoming meeting. So as focused as you can be to the amendment issues at hand is preferable, but again, no bad comments. I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a participation trophy. Maybe we listen to like different things, but I hear a lot of really shitty comments. <laughs> maybe I'm more critical, so I won't I won't pound on that too much. But like my advice, Willie didn't ask for it, but my advice to the listeners is to actually read something and then say what you think is the best for fish, not yourself. Because if you say what the best is for fish is, it's probably the best for everyone. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've probably spent 10% of my adult life listening to crappy comments on uh, council and commission meetings. So, God love you, man. It takes a special, it takes a special human to be able to do that and then still say every comment's good. So, God, bless, God love you, man. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. I mean, it, it's all forward progress and, you know, Comments build upon each other, and we did receive a lot of great, useful comments here. Is it, and the ones that, that doesn't the Coriolis effect impact that? I'm turning right. It's over all here. since it's I'm just I'm turning left, man, and I'm not even that <laughs> far from you. So, like, I think I think there's a there there. You know, maybe I don't know. We got to talk to some fishery managers in Australia. Willie knows one in Tasmania that does stuff with bluefin tuna. Let's tell, let's get him on here next. <laughs> Awesome. Well, hey, Matt, I mean, it's it's been great having you today. Is there anything else that you kind of want listeners to know about the council, about yourself, about, you know, bluefish? Are there any other things you want to make sure folks are aware of? I just want people to, you know, feel comfortable getting involved. You know, I, I'm a recreational fisherman. I do it for fun as often as I can, which now is not as much as I would like. But, you know, reach out to us. We're available all the time. There's so many different actions going on uh, with the Mid-Atlantic Council right now. Everything is posted, very available on the website. Um, you know, we're, we're around. If you have questions, just reach out. Hey, man, you're working from home. There's, there's, there's fluke eating <laughs> shallow, in shallow water, not that far from you, man. Like, yeah, you yeah. Gotta, dude, I mean, we got to talk after this. As, uh, as yeah. I look at some pinhead on social media who just named the creek of the speckled trout that he caught, which means that there'll be 700 people in those goofy-ass little pedal kayaks going around in <laughs> Don't circles. knock the kayak, guys. Hey, hey, let me tell you something. Look, I love everyone, Willie. You know that. That's Oh, yeah. that's a, You know, when I think of Tony, that's, that's the first given. thing I think of. Is I embrace everyone. everyone. Oh, but yeah. if, you got, if you're trolling like four rods off a friggin' kayak in three feet of water... And you have like a 17 inch, like hummingbird, whatever freaking thing for again, three feet of water on your, and your kayak is $6,000. And then you name the Creek of the, of the not really nice speckled trout you caught. And then you took a funny picture with the buoy in the background and the condos. You're an idiot. So, uh, so everyone's going to be speckled trout fishing soon, Matt, and we should probably go try and catch some flounder because you don't live that far from me. And it, it is a council-managed species, so I think, you know, as you would say, Tony, there's a there there. There's start a there steal, there. Start there's to steal the, your, your favorite phrase. What are, you, what are you doing? Matt and I are vibing. Just put yourself back. Yeah, man, I, I'd love to go out fishing with you guys. 
I, uh, I'm busy with this amendment, but uh, let's pick up some weekend time. Willie, I know you do a lot of night fishing, so let's let's get something going. Just, you know, give it a good think before you go out with Tony, Matt. You know, it is a... Uh, You'll be fine. Yeah, just Don't just give it a him. good think. That's all. Listen, you just... When we're waiting a quarter of a mile out in the ocean, you just have to put the flounder on a stringer on your waders, okay? Yeah, Trust me, you. it'll be fine. It'll be yeah, fine. Yeah, I'll swim in front of you. No, yeah, just do just just you put them on your waders. It's like a new guy thing. Drag it You'll behind be you, right in front of you. <laughs> fine, just don't splash a lot. Okay, sounds good. Right on, Matt. Well, hey, buddy, thank you, uh, thank you for for spending time with us here at the Guidepost, and best of luck getting this amendment buttoned up. Yeah, thanks so much for the time, guys. I really appreciate it. It was you know great to speak to you. And thanks with again, Matt. You guys, you guys do great work there. Um, we appreciate everything that you've done on bluefish. We appreciate everything that you're doing on black sea bass, summer flounder, scup, all the important species. And, uh, and you got a really tough job and you guys do a great job with it. So. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, I, I would just have to extend that thanks to all of our collaborators, the rest of staff, we have, you know, a great ED, a great group together that, you know, gets everything done and, uh, working with the commission, you know, we do good work and I'm proud of what we do. So thank you.